it started at 13 and just kind of progressed. You know, I started with marijuana and I ended up at the height of my addiction shooting methamphetamine in a level four prison. I've told the Lord in prayer multiple times, uh, thank you for saving me in that prison. Because it's, it's hard for somebody to become a disciple out here, have a renewed mind. All right, welcome in, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Jason Dennis here, your uh, uh, host extraordinaire, TV news anchor, and uh, love uh, faith and fitness. That's what we're talking about today, and as we do every week here on the Run the Race podcast, we have a special guest with us, Blake Russell, who's a, uh, a former um, drug addict, drug dealer, inmate, uh, now uh, reformed and uh, loves Jesus, and uh, has recently changed his career, actually, from, uh, I guess, the more the secular world, uh, uh, you know, private business all the way now to uh, go into ministry. So we're going to talk to him about that. And it's interesting how, you know, uh, years ago, well, I would say decades ago when I was in college and I loved to do what I'm doing now, TV news, I did a documentary and it was actually interesting. It was, uh, and this is something that, that Blake will talk about some too, jail ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, I went in and did a whole documentary as a college student about a jail ministry. And uh, they, they called it the molding station. And uh, so that's, that's what I call the documentary because they said that these inmates even talked about being molded from the inside out. And I'm sure Blake will talk about that some. Uh, he was born and raised here in the Phoenix City, Columbus area. So, so he's, a, he's a Southerner. I, he, I don't know if he would call himself a redneck. Right now, I don't know. Well, <laughs> we'll you can. See. I've been called worse. Uh, he's a graduate of Central High School in 2001, so he's um, he's definitely um, you know younger than I am. Played college baseball for two years with major league interest, so uh, it could have been ended up in the major leagues. And scouts looked at him, but ultimately, unfortunately, he you know uh, kind of went down the path of addiction and also selling drugs. So for that, he did eight years in prison all the way up until 2013, then got saved, I uh, guess, with you know the fourth out of a, a five-year prison term. And since he's been out, he's owned two businesses, uh, a gym, and then a landscaping company, which we'll talk about that he just had a, a transition out of that. Uh, he's done ministry you know, from the pulpit, street evangelism, prison ministry, uh, international ministry. He's been in Africa like I have in Uganda and uh, hoping to, to per- potentially do uh, long-term uh, field work there. Married to Krista, who, uh, speaking of of uh, major leagues, she's probably out of his league, perhaps. Yes, right? definitely. I'm married <laughs> up. <laughs> and uh, they've got two kids: uh, a daughter who is five, named Seven, and a son who is three and a half. That half is very important. That's Micah. Yeah. And uh, their goals are to serve the Lord regionally, internationally, and leaving a legacy of you know loving Jesus, loving his children, loving his family. And uh, without further ado, uh, Blake Russell joins us here at the TV station for uh, the Run the Race podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's good to be here, man. Yeah, I'm absolutely. glad to be here. And we met probably about uh, at least 10 years ago, probably when, when I was doing some stories and I was, mm-hmm. look, I was looking to some nonprofits locally. Hey, do y'all have some folks that maybe have come through addiction and now, you know, um, have, you know, God's led them on this new path. And I remember talking to you about that and, and uh, look how far you've come since then, right? Yeah, yeah it was, uh, I think 2014, it was the opioid, yeah, the opioid heroin epidemic, stories yeah. where yeah. you did a couple of, some of my friends who were delivered and came through addiction were also on the show. I remember we did it right outside of Columbus High School. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and I know that, you know, you obviously, that's part of your story, and we're going <clears> to <throat> talk about, you know, how you got into drug addiction. And a lot of folks, you know, there's a lot of reasons people get into it and then start selling, and, and, and it's, it can be <clears throat> a lucrative business, but yeah. obviously in, in, a, in a bad way. Um, but at first I want to talk to you about how, you know, we talked, uh, you know, in the intro about how you 
uh, owned two businesses. You had a gym for a while. And then for the last five or more years, you yeah. had a landscaping business. And that, you know, that's been your life and, and how you've earned your keep for the last uh, half decade. Um, so now you've transitioned out of that, which I'm sure is a scary thing. You're, I mean, it's a, this is a step of faith, yeah. big time, going into full-time ministry. So what what uh, you know, we you know, a lot of people are making those transitions now into maybe doing something they want to do or doing something God calls them to do more, uh, and that's what you're doing. So, what? How did you come to this realization? And I mean, is it is it scary? I imagine. Oh yeah. Well, they there. I mean, there's some fear involved in it. Uh, the Lord, you know, speaks faith and and I got you. And you know, where I give vision, I give provision, and all that. I came out. Uh, I got out of prison in 2013, and I went to work for a church just kind of doing custodial things. I wanted to be around ministry. Uh, I'd been saved for a little over a year. And so I went to work for a church. And then I started working after that with a buddy of mine who owned a nursery, a plant store. And that's where I learned the landscaping and lawn care kind of uh, uh, business and, and trade. Uh, did that for probably about 18 months, just helping him out. And then I went into uh, doing personal training at a gym. I had another friend who said, hey, you need to get your personal training license, man. With your personality, you know everybody in the city. You'll kill it in this field. And so I went into personal training for about 14 months, led that gym in sales pretty much every month I was there, and had some investors come to me and say, hey, if you ever want to own your own gym, <clears throat> we'll invest and we'll back you. So I did that. Uh, did that for two years. Uh, bought the gym back from them. And then I felt the Lord closing the door on it. It was just 14 hours, 15 hours of on your feet, grinding out, training people. It's a high service job. Uh, sold the gym and sat around for a couple of weeks. Had a buddy call, said, hey, I'm getting out of the lawn care landscaping. I got some equipment. I'll give it to you. Mm -hmm. I'm going into the electrical field. And he's a really good friend of mine, a best friend of mine. And so kind of went into it blindly, really didn't know, uh, picked up yards and properties and clients really fast it grew really fast we went from you know 10 or 40 10 to 40 properties in that first three or four months to wow. when i shut it down essentially last year i let all my crews go we had we were cutting over 400 properties a month and so uh but the thing for me is i've always been i've always kind of had that charisma i always use this example if you say you know if, if blake walks out of this door and i say you know what i'm gonna sell lemonade today. I'm going to sell cupcakes. I'm going to sell more cupcakes and more lemonade than anybody because the drive I have in me to do it is just what pushes me. I'm going to market it. I'm going to use my personality. And so I've never been able not to do anything I set my hand to. And that's kind of the blessing and the curse at the same time. Sure. Uh, when you're a high personality driven person, whatever you do, you're going to find those niches in order to exceed in it. And around August of last year, I just didn't have peace at doing the lawn care landscaping. So I had some crews. I let the guys go. I said, hey, I'm not going to shut the business down on you and your income, but I need you guys to start looking for other means of employment. And when the last guy was gone, then I had to go down my list of all these clients and customers and say, hey, I'm getting out of the business. I'm downscaling. And so that's what I did. It was last August, uh, September. And then uh, I went into this year with like 34 clients. I had the properties picked out that I wanted to maintain and do that could bring in a good income. But then about a month ago, the Lord just started speaking to me about, hey, uh, I want you to follow me. I want you to listen to me. Your time of doing this is coming to an end. Hmm. 
don't worry about income. We're fortunate that my wife is a software uh, sales executive. She, her company's based out of Atlanta. Uh, she makes, you know, we're blessed to, for her to make good money. And so I was already, the Lord was already dealing with me on it, uh, getting out of the secular business arena. And I have to, I have to guard my heart in that because since I've, since I've stopped doing lawn care over the last couple of weeks, I've had three job opportunities. Two of them were being a project manager. Uh, and so I've had to guard my heart on not jumping to the next thing because sure. I easily can do that. But the Lord said, you know, there's some people, and I use a couple of scriptures that, that God gave me. Uh, he spoke to me about the, uh, when he dished out the land to the tribe twelves of Israel, everybody got a piece of land but the Levites. And he said, I'm going to be their portion. Right, the Levites aren't getting any land. I'm their portion. And I've always known I was called into ministry because of the radical transformation that God did in my heart. But I've always done ministry in the workplace. Yeah. Right. And people will say that. Well, you can do ministry wherever you are. And that's true. That yeah. is very true. You Mar can marketplace ministers is what you know. Yeah. yeah, marketplace ministers. And I've prayed for people by being on a on a tractor or a or a lawnmower and, and God has come and moved on their hearts. But you know when the Lord is saying, Hey, I'm calling you into this like full time. And for me, I don't really know what that means because he hasn't laid it out specifically. You know, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. So where I'm at now is I'm not doing lawn care anymore. I'm in this position of waiting on the Lord to instruct me every day, you know, and uh, it's kind of like where Moses said in Exodus 33, he said, Lord, if you're not going up, don't send us. Yeah. I'm not going. And so for me, I, I say all that I am, my personality is go, 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 build, build, build. And so the Lord has this kind of governor on me right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's scary from that point. Sure. Because I'm like, oh, there's so much. I see one thing and I'm like, Lord, I can make that better. Yeah. I can do that, you know, good. But he's like, no, wait, yeah. wait on me. Yeah. He so. wants to, he wants to use you in, in a way that yeah, maybe you don't know exactly how that looks right now. And that's the scary part. <laughs> yeah. Because, and then oftentimes what it does is it, if you recollect, like I have over the last couple of weeks and month or two, it's been like, Lord, wow, how much, how much stuff have I really done in my own strength? You know, and just as a child, you know, he'll show favor and he'll bless us. But how much do we really do on our own accord? We say God's with us and he is in a, in a certain measure. But how much of it have I really done on my own personality, my own strength? And I guess you get in that place where my heart posture now is, God, if, you, if, you're, not, if you're not sending me, I'm not going for the first time in my life, at 38 years old, I'm really going to wait. Yeah. Do you feel like God is, you know, kind of leading you? And you know, because ministry is such a obviously a broad term. Yeah. Yeah. And it can it can mean a whole host of different things. Um, I mean, obviously, this is you know Christian based ministry and, mm -hmm. and Jesus based. But um, what what do you have any kind of uh, inkling or idea in terms of where God is leading you in terms of location or maybe what your the, the focus would be, perhaps? Yeah. Well, I was just I was on the phone with my wife on the way over here, and we were talking about that exact uh, thing. When you look at ministry, and it is it's such a broad uh, field, but when people make a living doing ministry, there's there's two that comes to mind mostly you have a uh, pulpit ministry where you know a man is a preacher or a shepherd over a congregation and, and you know he's paid through that or there is uh you go to work for an organization that's already in place or you become full-time missionaries and you raise your own funds for me it's kind of this uh hybrid like I, I do jail ministry i do prison ministry we do street outreach uh there's international things that are lining up we've been to africa we've done that but there's no brick and mortar sure and i'm kind of like my own 
ministry. So with that, you kind of go, what does that look like? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's opportunities. You know, I could go and join myself to certain local ministries around here, and the Lord might open up that door. But right now, that's the, that's the unknown. You know, what does that look like? So yeah, he's going to have to reveal it because <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> exactly. Because, I mean, because like you said, I mean, you, you know, you're not just responsible for, for, for Blake Russell. You're yes. responsible. You have a wife and two kids. And, and even though she, you know, has a good job, you want to be able to, you know, um, be able to be a support system as well. Yes. I, I mean, for you, I mean, I know, I know a lot of times when, uh, and, uh, and I don't think it's a sexist thing, but men have a, a sense of, uh, you know, mm. pride and we want to be providers. Yes. And so for you, do you have that sense that like, okay, I want to be a provider, but also I want to do what God wants me to do. I mean, is yeah. uh, those two things? Oh, it's, hope, you know. it's one of the things that I've, the Lord has had to walk with me through because in our culture, and that's very true, there is a sense of pride that comes from a man of being the provider, being the spiritual head, but but being the breadwinner, so to speak. And my wife has encouraged me a couple of weeks ago. She said, you know, I just wish, I just wish you would quit doing the lawn care. I wish you'd quit working. And I was like, if you mean that, like, I need you to really look, look me in the face and say, Hey, I'm serious. And she said it, she said, no, I'm, I'm serious. And I said, well, can we handle it financially? That was the first thing. And she said, yes. She said, I just want you around more. You know, lawn care and landscaping is a big deal. If, if you, it takes up a lot of time. If there's a rainy day, you're set off a day and a half. You know, Lord, Lord forbid one of the kids gets sick. I couldn't go get them. I couldn't go to the school, pick them up, bring them home, because I'm thinking about all the properties that are getting backed up, all the jobs that are not going to meet deadline. And so when she said that, she said, yeah, we can handle it financially. And she said, you do so much more for the house and this family as you're listening to the Lord and leading us spiritually that you could ever do financially. So I want you to focus on that and having her back me up on that and, and, and being, uh, not generic about it, you know, but her understanding the call that's on our life and that she needs me in position here and from God more than she needs me out here bringing in a check right now. Yeah. And that was big. That, that delivered me that, that, that was, that was a breakthrough for me. Yeah. And because I mean, because it like it starts at the home. I mean, you 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 have jobs, but your main job is to be you know husband and father. Yeah, to yeah. hear from God on behalf of my family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and kind of going back in time a little bit, uh, we talked. We you know kind of talked about it earlier about how um, you, you were saying that you, you are a driven person you know, mm-hmm. and you feel like that you've got the charisma to like, if you want to sell something, you're going to sell it. Yeah. So obviously <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're going back to selling drugs. Well, I learned you know, that. Maybe <laughs> the same way. Well, for, well, I guess going way back, um, you know, you are, you know, um, you, you know, graduate and you're playing college baseball and doing pretty well and for mm-hmm. yourself. And, and so what, what, um, what was it that, drew you to you know taking drugs was it was this peer pressure or something else yeah totally peer i mean that it's so it seems so simple now when you talk about it. there's always some underlining fact that somebody becomes a drug dealer or a drug addict most people are raised in that culture uh their father did it their mother did it their big brothers did it whatever for me uh it wasn't a part of the culture growing up my parents uh were hard workers uh there was no drinking there was no smoking there was no cussing. There was there was really nothing. I mean, it was it was pretty cut and dry. Clean cut. Yeah, really. Uh, you know, middle to upper class neighborhood. Uh, nobody in my family had ever been to prison. Nobody had ever joined a gang. Nobody had ever sold drugs. I remember the first where it all started. Uh, 
marijuana used to be dubbed the gateway drug and it, it totally still is. I mean, people, there's such a, you know, a heroin epidemic now and, a uh, all these major narcotics, but no person ever wakes up one day and just starts doing heroin. Nobody ever wakes up and just starts putting a needle in their arm and shooting methamphetamine. Like I did. Nobody wakes up and does a line of cocaine. I was playing basketball in a cul-de-sac in my neighborhood and there was about 13 of us kids and all guys We were, you know, it was a pickup game. I was 13 years old and one of the kids had a joint. Now where he got it from, I don't know, but he had a joint. They fired it up behind one of the houses right there and heck I hit it. You know, I was one of the kids. I was one of the, uh, the best athletes. I was one of the leaders. Now, whatever put me, whatever inside of me said, you need to do this. I don't know. I, I'm, I, I can vaguely remember, though, everybody else is doing it. I need to go ahead and just do it. Sure, be a part of it. Be a part of it. But I do remember what happened at that time is it took away, like, the apprehension or the unknown of doing a drug. So the next time it came around, the next day or the next week, it was like, yeah, let's do it again. Yeah. You know, I remember I got high, went inside, got on the video games. Parents didn't even think twice. I was right outside my house. I was on the street right there in front of the house. Yeah, and got away with it. And got away with it. I remember later on that year, I went to a Central Shaw football game at Connect Stadium. I was a freshman. Uh, I rode with a bunch of seniors. The girl that lived next door to me was a really popular senior. I rode with them. Uh, drank my first uh, alcoholic beverage. The guy who gave it to me is now a pastor in Phoenix City. Been a pastor for 20 years. <laughs> wow. Uh, if he listens to this, he knows. I won't say his name, but he'll laugh. Uh, but I remember I, I drank alcohol. I got drunk that night. And I remember thinking, okay, just like that joint, I've, I've now experienced this. Yeah. So the next time somebody pops a, a drink or a beer or hands me one, yeah, sure. You know, went home. Parents didn't think anything about it. I was with trusted people. They lived right next door. And so what happened over the course of the next three or four years, my drug abuse, it just kind of continued to spiral. It wasn't a big deal. There were so many kids that were doing it. There were so many people that I played baseball with that were doing it. Uh, some of the parents were okay with it. Some weren't. And we gravitated toward those homes and hung out on Friday and Saturday nights where the parents were okay with, hey, if you're going to drink, at least drink here. Mm-hmm. So we would go to those kids' house. Yeah. My parents didn't know. They they. They were, you, I, you were going over to a friend's house. I was in, I was in good hands. Yeah. These people worked hard every day. They worked corporate jobs, total systems, Aflac, whatever. But uh, it all came to a head when I was 16. I got my first DUI. Mm. And uh, my parents kind of like, okay, we knew he was probably drinking a little bit. Now, I mean, he's drunk driving. Uh, they they put me on restriction, didn't get a car again until I went off to college. But, uh, yeah, mine was total only because other kids were doing it. There wasn't, I wasn't raised around it. Um, and then it progressed all the way up. But my, I was able to maintain good grades. I was able to maintain excellence on the baseball field. Uh, so nobody really knew that yeah. behind the scenes, behind the door, uh, I was smoking a lot of marijuana. I was uh, eating ecstasy pills. We were experimenting with uh, shrooms and acid. And uh, so. How did you gr- graduate from that to selling and ending up behind bars? I mean, was, was, that a, was that a big leap or maybe not? Well, I, remember I got the DUI. That was my first time being arrested. That was at 16. 17, I graduated. I was always a younger kid in my class, so I graduated at 17. Went off to college, uh, and at that point, it graduated from marijuana into a little bit of cocaine. The woman that I'm married to now, I was dating then. 
she was a cheerleader at Auburn. So we were all at all the big parties where, you know, the more heavier narcotics and the party drugs were there. Um, but still doing it, still going to class, still getting high on the weekends. And uh, I remember I got kicked out of that first college. I went to I went back to school that weekend and my parents found a pretty big stash of marijuana in my closet. Uh, and they called the coach and said, hey, we found this. The coach kicked me off the team, came home to Chattahoochee Valley, uh, played a half a semester there. And at that point I was 19 and some of my friends who I'd grown up with were now drug dealers, mm. right? Middle to upper white neighborhoods, uh, they were just didn't go to college, didn't work, uh, sold drugs. And so now I'm back home. I'm not away at college. I'm back home with an addiction. I've already got kicked out of one college. Um, and so started selling a little bit of drugs for them, with them, go out on the weekend, sell drugs, go to school during the week, play baseball during the week, party on the weekend. And then I got arrested um, at a buddy's house for possession with intent to distribute. They arrested him on a big cocaine bus, and I just happened to be an accessory to the bus. I wow. just happened to be there when narcotics agents hit the house. Wrong place, wrong time. But you probably were going to mm-hmm. land there some sometime. Oh, it was inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, I was on my way. And so I got put on three years probation then. And that's when my my demise kind of hit public scene. Like, Blake's got issues. Why was he at this house anyway? Now he's kicked out of two colleges in the last eight months. Uh, you know, he's he's on probation now. Is is you know his name's out there as not a good kid to be around. Trouble kid. Got put on three years probation. Didn't report. Uh, spent a month in the county jail. I remember that was kind of like just like the weed, just like the alcohol. Once you go to jail for the first time, that kind of scared straight thing is kind of out the window. Like I did that. I survived that. The worst thing that y'all can do is put me back in that, and I've already done that. Yeah. And that's the mentality with a lot of these kids. I do a lot of jail ministry, and you can see it. You can see the hardness on these kids. I mean, they're 16, 17, 18 years old, and they look like they have been through war. Yeah. Their their youth has been taken from them, Yeah. right, by the enemy or, or drugs or whatever. And so I remember I did that first month, came home, uh, didn't report probation. Judge sent me back two more months, did two months, and then he – he revoked the rest of the sentence, and I did 15 months. And uh, it just kept spiraling. You know, I don't, I don't know if you want to keep going into the testimony, but did those 15 months, got out, did okay for about a year. Uh, at this point in my life, baseball was a thing of the past. Right. Uh, I remember my coach, though, at that second college that I got kicked out of, he was like, just come live with me. He, he invited me into his home and said, I want you to come live with me. In eight months, you'll be out of here, man. You're going to get drafted, and you're gone. Yeah. And I remember thinking, no, coach, I've been playing baseball my whole life. I need a little break. Yeah. And what I was really saying is I really want to go to party and have no responsibilities. Right. I yeah. don't want to have to go to school or come to practice. That was your – I mean, a lot of people, you have forks in the road, and that was a decision you made. I mean, yep. who knows if you'd gone the other way, yeah. right? Well, I often say it like this. I would have went into the major leagues with an addiction. I'd have probably signed for a little bit of money, and I'd have probably even – Spent all that. On drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so I – did okay for about a year, and then I got a uh, I got into crystal meth and ice and cocaine, and that's that was a whole another level of addiction, a whole another level of darkness. Uh, ultimately, in two thousand and eight, I got a trafficking methamphetamine charge with a manufacturing in the second, uh, and got sentenced to fifteen years, and I did five years and thirty nine days on that. But mine was 
it started at 13 and just kind of progressed. You know, I started with marijuana and I ended up at the height of my addiction shooting methamphetamine in a level four prison. Wow. And, you know, you talk about how, you know, you're hardened and how, you know, you see a lot of, you know, inmates now that Mm -hmm. have that same, you know, sense of like either empowerment or just like resigned to like, this is my life. That's what it is. And I've done it, you know. And and so uh, what for you, what what changed? Because you're in there. Mm -hmm. You've done, you know, uh, know, six or seven years already. And you're like, you know, know, I'm I'm Blake Russell. I have this reputation. So what um, in 2012, I guess it was, what what was the shift? What was there like a a moment or, or? Well, I was at a prison in Montgomery for three years. I was at State and Correctional Facility. And that is... That there is where I became a gang member. That is where I started putting a needle in my arm. Um, I was scoring drugs. I was selling drugs on a higher level in prison than I ever did on the street. Wow. Um, we we had a few guards that were bringing us stuff, and uh, we were getting it in through other means in the prison. And so I was there for three years, and I was on what's called a C fifty one lateral transfer. It's when they it's when the state and downtown Central Records and the Internal Investigation Department of DOC they look at a problem inmate. And they swap you out with another problem inmate across state somewhere. And all they're doing is just changing your atmosphere, right? They're just saying, he's been here. We've wrote it. I caught 24 disciplinaries in like a 19-month period, major disciplinaries. And so they transferred me out with a guy that was already at Easterling. And so you were the opposite of good behavior. I was bad behavior, (laughs) yeah. I caught 24 write-ups, insinuating riots, creating safety and security health hazards, uh, insubordination, disobeying direct orders. Uh, fighting, you know, all kind of stuff. But I was high. I was always high in prison. I was 171 pounds when they transferred me. 6'4", 171. Yeah. I'm 6'4 now, around 210. Yeah. Uh, I was I was just... Skin and bones. I was shell of a man. Wow. But what was driving it was hopelessness. Just like these young men today, uh, I had pretty much accepted the fact that this is my life. Uh, I was a shame to my family. Um all my peers, I'm watching them on Facebook from prison on my cell phone. They're, they're getting married. They're posting pictures of their first home. They're, they just got mortgaged. Uh, they're having babies. You know, all my peers. And even some of the guys that I grew up with that were selling drugs, they've turned the page. Now they're doing real estate or selling insurance or whatever. And here I am sitting in prison uh, because I got caught. And so that fueled my desire to just press the press the gas even harder this is what this is my lot in life and i'm just going to do this i'm going to be successful at this yeah and i'm just going and so we net i networked and, and i met people and you know mexican cartels and so they put me on that on that lateral transfer april 22nd of 2012 and they sent me to easterling correctional facility which is in Clio, alabama in the middle of nowhere i went from montgomery big city to barber county bullock county Clio, alabama there's nothing down there I go down there the third Thursday of every month to that prison and preach, and it is a long country drive. <laughs> but what happened there, it was a really tightly run prison. It, I always said this. If they, if they modeled every institution in the state of Alabama after Easterling, the recidivism rate would, would drop tremendously. It was At the time, it was called an observation camp. I mean, there was no walking on the grass. You, you stayed on the sidewalk. You had to maintain – uh, your haircut, your your facial hair, shirts had to be tucked in at all times. What people think maybe a prison should be, quote. Yes, know, yeah. and it was because where all the problem inmates, inmates were sent. The one thing that transferred and, and transformed me, though, is when I got there, I'd smoked cigarettes for 16 years of my life, some type of tobacco. I'd been getting high for the last 16 years, right? Remember, I'm, I'm 28 when I get sent there. 
28, 29, and I've been getting high since I was 13, all the way through the county jails, all the way through college, all the way through prison. They sent me there, and my drug of choice is not there. All they were getting was Suboxone strips that were coming through on the back of stamps on envelopes. I couldn't get high on what I wanted to get high on. I couldn't smoke a cigarette. So for the first three or four months, I got sober. For the first time in my life since I was 13, I got sober. Wow. And I got on the weight pile. I started playing sports again. And I walked into the chapel one day, uh, and they were playing Passion of Christ, the movie that Mel Gibson you know, directed. Sure. Uh, just a powerful evangelistic tool. I'm watching that movie, and I'm already hopeless. I am already knew my potential. I knew what I was supposed to be in life. I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing this. But it was like in the, in the, in the blink of an eye, I'm looking at my whole life. And where I was at, and from the tattoos on my hands to the gang graffiti on my body to who I am in the prison system. And it was just like, I'm looking at, you know, Jesus, so to speak. And I had no knowledge of church. I wasn't raised around church. To me, Jesus was like the fairy, a fairy tale princess or Tinkerbell somewhere because of what culture had displayed him to be. You know, on Easter, you get presents. We go to church. We dress up real nice. On Christmas, you get presents. It's his birthday. We dress up real nice. So to me, there was no power behind the name of Jesus. There was no power in church. Um, it was just rituals. and it was rituals you know, and yeah. traditions. And I, I thought old people went to church because they were going to die, and they needed to be in church because <laughs> their life's at the end. They need to get right. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I had this encounter with the Lord watching that movie, and I started crying watching Jesus uh, be scourged and, and Pontius Pilate had just gave him over and they had just released Barabbas. And in this moment, I'm watching all this and I'm understanding. And the witness inside of me, something inside of me was saying, that's the truth. Yeah. That's it. Now, I didn't know. The Bible says that no one comes to the Father unless he draws them. I didn't know in that moment I'm having this drawing encounter with the Lord. Uh, and I just, I started crying. I hadn't cried in years. I couldn't tell you before that time, the last time I cried. But I'm a hardened criminal. I'm a gang member. I'm a drug user. Uh, and I just told the Lord. I told God. I said, I don't know if you can hear me. I don't know what's making me feel like I'm feeling right now. I'm crying. I'm in a chapel. But if you're real, if, if you'll help me change my life, uh, I wasn't asking to get out of prison. I was just wanting something. I was wanting some hope. I was wanting some daylight. Uh, if you'll help me change my life, I'll follow you. I will give my life to you. I was a gang member. I already knew what it meant to give my life to something. And so uh, I told God, if you'll help me, I'll, I'll give my life to you. And I said, I'll read the Bible, whatever this is, if you can hear me. And I kept saying that to him. If you can hear me, please help me. Because this was a new, brand new thing to you. This wasn't like something oh, I was, you prayed when you were younger or whatever else, you know. Yeah. I was on a whim just by faith. A little bit of faith I had that I didn't know I had. I was just saying, if you hear me, please help me. Yeah. And uh, it was almost like he just transferred faith into me from that moment i i went up under the guys there the leadership there in the prison uh those guys are real dear to my heart some of them are still serving time and uh i learned in about a 13 month span they taught me everything about prayer and reading the bible and it was like in the moment i realized how my life had gotten to where it was and almost like you know if you had been if this maybe something like this perhaps had happened outside of prison, you know, um, you know, you maybe, maybe perhaps you wouldn't have been as disciplined. Cause I mean, you oh, were yeah. there, you, you were a captive audience. You were, yeah. and then you had another year to, to kind of like, what else am I going to do kind of thing? Right? That's so good. You say that. I, I, that's, that's, that's so good because most of the guys that we encounter out here and the girls, we lead them to the Lord and the disciple process of making them a disciple is, is so it's, it's tougher. 
Yeah. You have an encounter with them in the church or on the street, and then you want to disciple them. But every day there's a nine to five. There is responsibilities at home. They're, they're on their own. It's the Mark chapter four, the sower of the seed. Some by the wayside, some the fowls of the air get. Some are choked out by the deceitfulness of riches. And only some that receive the word hold on to it are the ones that bear fruit. And so in there, yeah, the guy, we see prison ministries and explode with the guys who have a real encounter because they, 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 they give their life to the Lord. And then they can take however much time they got. Some of them, it's a lifetime. And they become disciples. They become obedient because they don't have the responsibilities that are out here. And I'm thankful for that. I, I've told the Lord in prayer multiple times, uh, thank you for saving me in that prison. Because yeah. it's, it's hard for somebody to become a disciple out here, have a renewed mind when they're in the same environment that they're in. But in there, it's like you're, you're sheltered around and you can go into the school of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and this may, this may sound strange, but, um, you know, you're talking about how Jesus is like, you know, whatever the tooth fairy or just some imaginary, like little mm-hmm. figure that, you know, but, uh, in, in a way, you know, um, and, and some people maybe that don't believe or, or maybe look at Christianity from afar, see Jesus as that, but, um, he really was a gangster himself. I mean, because yeah. he was just an outsider, did things just way different yeah. than than at the time and so he was just kind of throwing the conventional wisdom to you know and so and when you kind of see that and perhaps on the big screen you see that Jesus was like this tough as nails mm-hmm. guy like who just he's going to put himself through stuff yeah. for us i mean did that for you was that like okay what well, th- maybe this is you know this Jesus was is different than i thought yeah. you know yeah when you read, when I got into the Bible, and I started reading, and you and you see who he ate with. You see that he's he's. The Bible says that he was reclined back at a table, and the Pharisees looked into the house and said, "If he was really a prophet of the Messiah, he would know who he's eating with. He would know that those are sinners." And of course, in that moment, when you're coming to the knowledge of Jesus, okay, who is this man? Who is this this Son of God that is holy, that was yet without sin, but tempted in every way we were, but yet. It's like when I do street ministry, Jesus would, he was in that prison eating with me, right? He, he, he's in the center's places of congregation. He's eating with them, not to condone, but to transfer the kingdom. And so, yeah, we took, I took that as he called a bunch of fishers, you know, fishermen. Those are some hard guys, yeah. right? He himself was a carpenter, so he knew how to work with his hands. Um, a yeah, tax collector who uh, all, all the, the Jewish people hated. Yes. The, uh, uh, who was the zealot, uh, I forget the Simon, know, Simon, well, well, there's two Simons one became Paul. Right? Yeah. And he's looking at, <laughs> and so he calls all, he calls the murderers. And so when you look at that from a standpoint of, okay, if you're preaching the gospel to me and I'm a, I'm a gang member and I'm a drug user, there is such an invitation that comes like, wow, he really does want me. He really does. I'm the one he wants, you know, and uh, he wants everybody, but wow, there is a place for me if I follow this man. Yeah. And, and that was it for me. I, I just wanted something new and, I'd walk, I'd studied a little bit of a, uh, Freemasonry. I studied, I'd walked the track with, uh, Shiite Muslims and Sunni Muslims kind of, you know, what's their deal. But I'm so thankful that, and I can't go back to how the spirit bore witness with my spirit that this is the truth. Yeah. I can't help but always remember that. People ask me all the time, how do you know, Blake, that Jesus is real? How do you have this faith? And my simple answer is I know how I used to be. I know the insolent man and the, and, the, and the murderous man that I used to be and the violent man and the hopeless man, and I'm no longer like that on the inside. And I can't 
give you an example. I can't write it down and make it plain about how something inside of me bore witness that said, this is the truth. This is it. You know, and then you, you follow that truth and it changes your life. You know, even to the point where you're selling your businesses and you don't know what you're going to do next. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Like bl- blind faith, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you were talking about your tattoos. You got people obviously can't see it on the on the podcast, but you got some on your legs and all of your arms mm-hmm. and stuff. And those are reminders and, and um, perhaps some, you know, gang symbols or whatever else. Yeah. So for you, um, you know, um, you know, and you've kept a lot of them, obviously, you mm-hmm. know. Um, does that, do you think, you know, the tattoos and your history, uh, being, uh, you know, a, a longtime drug addict and drug dealer and spent almost a decade in prison, all that stuff that gives you street cred, but what does that do for your ministry and your testimony? Does that, um, give you an opportunity or opens doors where it wouldn't be open before, or maybe, you know, yeah. people that are the downtrodden, the, the addicts, mm-hmm. the prostitutes, whatever, do they maybe look at you differently than somebody that's lived this, you know, kind of clean yeah. life it definitely gives me credibility when i go into the jails and the prisons uh they recognize real quick when they look at tattoos okay they can recognize what gang that is uh if that's a certain tattoo that only a certain ranking member could get they recognize it really quick um when i go into the jails and the prisons i i kind of let the lord dress me i know what shoes to wear uh when i'm on the street doing street ministry it uh it gives me credibility. Uh, it's almost like I go bilingual in that moment. Like I start, I'm speaking English, but I'm speaking their language, uh, slang and diverse things that, you know, Paul said, I become all things to all men that I may save some. So it gives me an end into the street and the culture and the urban. But I've also noticed that when I go into, um, when I'm with business people or if I'm in like, you know, certain parts of the city, that's like multimillion dollar homes. A lot of times their children, are dealing with the same thing that I dealt with and their parents were my parents. Right. And so they called me about their kids. Um, and then sometimes, you know, I meet businessmen are highly successful in the secular world people, but they're struggling with something. So at yeah. that point, it's the faith that I have. They go, you know what, this is the last person I thought I would get life advice from this yeah. guy. And maybe they, these folks are maybe are successful. They don't have a bunch of tattoos, oh, they ha- but everything's hidden. Like they're, they're clean cut. They have yes. this life that's out on social media and yes. out in their business, but they're not behind the scenes. Maybe yeah. they're doing the same thing you did, you know? And, and people can recognize who has been with the Lord and people are looking for encouragement and hope and comfort. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes, you know, like our kids go to a private school. I remember the first couple of months our kids were there. I remember when I, I always, this is funny, I always would walk in and I'd tell my wife, they're looking at me like I, that's a sponsored family. There's no <laughs> doubt. This is a, this is a, this, that's a sponsored family because look right. at him. So one of those, uh, one of the, one of the 10 over here. <laughs> oh, this is so sweet. Look, he got sponsored, you know, but uh, it, it helps. I mean, people, people can't deny the, the faith and the anointing of God. Um, I don't have an answer for everything, but I have my faith and I can tell people, look, I know, I know you deal with something and God brought me from this to here. He can see you through it too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so the street cred is there, but I love it when the Lord uses, he takes the, the foolish things of the world and confounds the wise with them. Yeah. That's what Jesus did. And you're not trying to hide your old life. I mean, that's almost for you. God uses that as a tool for like, okay, well, Blake has something that maybe, you know, um, all much of these followers probably don't have mm-hmm. and, and you have and, and maybe somebody that has a life where you've kind of everything's gone smoothly or you haven't you know had a life of crime you have something different to give as well yes yeah everybody's got their part we, a saying that we always have is some of my friends will call me up what are you doing today you know and i'll say i'm just gonna do my part 
-hmm. You know, everybody's got a part to play in the kingdom and uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, so I, I enjoy using my credibility and my testimony, but I also enjoy rubbing shoulders with people who can get into places that I can't get into. Uh, but the anointing, man, the, the faith in God is what, is what does. It's what moves on people's hearts. Yeah. And we, you know, we talk about fitness on the podcast sometimes too, and, and, you know, uh, talks in the Bible about, you know, um, our body is a temple and kind of yeah. taking care of it. And we want to be, and that's a good way to be a witness as well. You used to have a gym and obviously played college baseball. So, um, you, and then you ran right before the yeah. coming out yeah. here. So getting back into it. So, I mean, do you, um, for you, is that a, um, a, a way, a part of your testimony too, or, or is something that you feel like, you know, I want to stay in shape mm-hmm. and because uh, I've, I've obviously that's been a part of your life for a long time as well. Yeah. The, the word the Lord spoke to me about staying in shape is a, uh, I want to use you for a long time. I want you to be able to preach the gospel for a long time. I don't want health to be a hindrance. Uh, now we can't, we all don't have a, a, a saying when we go, but I think the Lord looks down and, uh, and he sees, okay, who's stewarding their body correctly. You know, the Bible says that in him, we live and move and have our being. Um, and it's it's good to have spiritual health, of course. Pray, read your word, be obedient to the voice of God, and worship. But I I think there's something to the the bodily health, the temple. Uh, I have a few kind of underlining reasons to maintain health. One is my family and my kids. The other is uh, I do a lot of walking, street ministry, uh, international trips. You've been to Africa. Mm-hmm. There's no pulling up to a building in a parking lot a lot of times you have to walk yeah uh, i have a friend who's paralyzed from the neck down i have to literally pick him up out of the bed once a month and take him to the doctor and it's every trip i, I pick him up anywhere between four to six times and on the months or the years that i'm not staying in physical shape i'm doing him a disservice because he depends on me so there's always an underlying fact i think people's staying in health staying staying in shape uh number one thing is just do it do it for your health do it for your, your heart. Do it to live a long life and and not have to have hindrance. I mean, this guy right here is running. We're, I'm looking at him. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's working. I know yeah, that guy. And, and, and people like, you know, in all shapes and sizes. I mean, some people think, you know, well, I'm too big, you know. And um, so, I mean, for you, are you uh, mostly, you know, do you – I mean, because obviously you own a gym. I mean, lifting weights, is that a is that a important thing for you or is that something that maybe you don't do as much as you used to or well the personal trainer in me kicks up when you ask that <laughs> oh, question i want to say yes lift, yeah. lift, pick I up the barbell yeah. <laughs> uh, it, the older i get the more i see value in just the cardiovascular yeah. side the running uh weights are good uh there's some proven scientific things that uh women who who use barbells uh it lowers the chance of osteoporosis after pregnancy um you know so if i'm taking a client and getting them to a goal, I'm going to implement weights and everything. But uh, now you're your own personal trainer. So. Now I'm my own personal <laughs> trainer. I, I lift weights, uh, but I'm uh, I'm growing more into the cardio thing. Yeah, you know because there's always an underlying reason why does a man lift so many weights? Why does he do that barbell so much? And, yeah. and if he's telling the complete truth, because he likes the way it makes him look. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, and so you have to fight off that vanity thing sometimes but for me i'll be 39 this year i'm not old by no means but i'm seeing more of a value in just keeping the ticker going stronger versus being able to bench press 250 pounds (laughs) the difference and plus i mean the atlanta braves could call you yeah well now Um, they call i mean you 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 could be you know one of those guys i mean you know in your late 30s and you never know you might still be able to throw what 80 or 90 miles an hour yeah you got me you got me wondering (laughs) we talked about a little bit before the show uh 
I got out of I got out of prison that last time, and I was 30 years old, and I was mentoring a young man, mm-hmm. and uh, he was playing ball at the local college here, and he told the coach then, who happened to be my coach at the time, uh, he said Blake still got it, and he said I, just, just tell Blake to come down here and see me. I hadn't saw him since he got out, and I went down there at 30 and was throwing like 91, 92. I even played a semester there and went to school. I felt so out of <laughs> out of place. I felt like a, a just a fish You're a out of water. Decade older than everybody else. Oh, I'm sitting in class and these 18, 19 year old kids, and I'm on the field. And I remember they, the kids were like, "What are you doing this weekend?" And uh, they were all like, "You know, I'm going to this club or this party." And they were like, "Blake, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm going to cut the grass." I'm not doing that. I'm going to cut the grass. You know. <laughs> so I don't know. You know, I'd like to see how hard I could throw it. Do you? Do you, uh, do you miss? I mean, because obviously baseball, you know, brought you up and. And um and and you were very good at it. Obviously, mm-hmm. on the cusp of, of of going to you know the minors, the majors. Uh, do you miss it, or do you maybe do you still play? Oh, I miss the it. church softball leagues or something. Not, like that? No, I don't play. I, I don't play the church softball. Okay. I miss it though. I watch I watch the Braves every night. I just watch the college baseball World Series. Uh, I'm looking forward to if my son shows interest uh, in in coaching him. Um, not going to push him into it, but not going to push him into it. Uh, my my parents didn't push me into it, and uh, I loved it. Um, it, the times have changed so much, though, the way they do things now. But I do miss it. And there, every every once in a while, I'll watch guys that I played ball with that have been in the pros for 14 or 15 years, and I'll go, man, what if, you know, what if. But I also think without salvation, I would have went into the pros, made some money, and uh, I probably – I might have ended up worse off than yeah. I was, you know. You yeah. take take a drug addict and give him a million dollars, so tell him what's going to happen. Yeah. And that one really cool thing about you, I know, you know, we've known each other off and on for a decade or so um, that you, you put out videos, just kind of simple videos on, on Facebook mm-hmm. and other social media. And, and, and uh, you know, I know you guys have a, um, you also have www.7mministries.com. I think. Yes. Um, so, you know, and, you know, you put these videos and they're pretty simple. You're sitting in the car, you're sitting yeah. in the house, whatever else. And you're talking about pursuing God, listening to God. I think you did one recently on fasting. Right. So is this something that you feel just like, okay, whatever God lays on my heart and I just want to put it out there and whoever hears it, hears it. Right. right. Yeah. It's usually the Lord will move on my heart about something. I'll be in prayer or worship or riding down the road. I might be leaving here and the Lord will start speaking to me. And uh, I've learned not to complicate things. You know, our, our technology is so easy now to post a, a video. And uh, and so I'll just put it out there, and, and, and most of the time it blesses somebody its own time. Uh, we have the YouTube channel that we've took we've taken a couple months off of, but we're about to gear up and do that again at the end of this week, actually. I had to order some new microphones. <laughs> but, yeah, the Lord has speak to me, and it's like spur of the moment, and I'm like, I know I need to get that out there. You know, so it's just a simple way of exhorting people, encouraging people. But it blesses. Folks message me and say, hey, I needed to hear that. You know, social media technology is such a good tool if we use it correctly. Yeah. It really is. Uh, I mean, it's the easiest way to evangelize. Yeah. You know? And this is you and Krista doing stuff. What, what's the YouTube channel? The YouTube is the Blake and Krista show. Uh, it's real life conversations. We talk about everything from our marriage struggles to raising kids to uh, current events. Yeah. Uh, and what's that like doing, like, I mean, obviously she has a job in the secular world, and, and, and whereas you're kind of leaving that, but what's it like, you know, being a kind of a husband-wife on mission together and with yeah. your kids too? Because obviously you're not, like, on mission yet, perhaps, right. like, in Africa or something like that. You're here mm-hmm. in, you know, in Georgia and Alabama. Um, what's that like, you know, doing that together as, as a couple, as a family? Yeah, well, it's very important to me. Uh, a couple of years ago, the Lord gave me the word on, whatever you do, I want you to implement your wife with it. Um, 
I just I never wanted to be that man of God that got out front and then looked back years later and like, wow, my my family really really suffered because I was in ministry. I didn't want ministry to kill our family and our marriage. Uh, so it's very important to me that whatever I have, my wife has to come. She has to be there with me, whether spiritually or physically doing it. Um, we do the shows and the podcast. She surprised me sometimes because they're so candid. She's like, I want to talk about this. And I'm like, honey, we're live. <laughs> and she's like, that's why I want to talk about it. So, this is like couples therapy. Yeah, yeah, it really is. But uh, I love having her with me. She brings such an administrative eye for things where I'm more of a, a workhorse. You give me a goal, I'm going after it. Evangelism, uh, where's the need? Let's just run out you know, and, and preach Jesus. She's so good at administration, uh, spreadsheets type stuff. Uh, so it works. It works really good. She's the, uh, I always told her if I don't hear, if I don't hear God or the Holy spirit, I'm at least going to hear you. Yeah. Right. Cause she, uh, she's, she's truly the other half, the better half. Yeah. And you guys were together younger and so got yeah. back together. So she, she took you back or, or I yeah. don't know if it's vice versa. I don't know. Yeah. That was a, that was a, <laughs> that's a miracle in itself. I, I tell that when I preach, if, if, you know, God to do things in your life and then discouragement comes. Sure. And if you ever need to remember, uh, if you ever get down in your faith or you're discouraged or depressed, just look back at some of the things that God's done and then your praise will begin to stand up in you. For me, I can always look back and, and when I was sticking a needle in my arm in a level four prison in Alabama, uh, and then where I'm at now, I can look back at my testimony and the miracle of my marriage. We were childhood. We were high school sweethearts. When I started getting in trouble, she was at Auburn. She was a freshman. And she said, hey, you know, uh, our lives are going in two totally different directions. She was going to school. Uh, she was about to become the head cheerleader at Auburn. She was the head cheerleader there for three years. Uh, she went on to graduate. I'm in prison. She went on Survivor, season 22, uh, the CBS show. I'm in prison. I get out. We should be we should be having her on the podcast. Oh, she oh, it's crazy. Look, so we uh, Jason, so she, she's the famous one. I'll, I'll never forget. I was in, I was in Green Island Hills, and I was sharing my testimony with a pastor, and uh, I was putting him to sleep. Him and his wife were going to sleep, and I'm really laying it on drugs, gangs, you know, and I'm just putting this man to sleep. And I get to the point where my wife was on Survivor, and he just came alive. You're on Survivor. Let's talk about that. And I'm like, well. Well, I, I had I had Ethan's on uh, a few months ago on the podcast. He was the season three winner. I don't know. If, wow. You know, Ethan was one of the famous. I'm sure Krista yeah. would know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, uh, so she's doing all that. I get out of prison, and she's married, and she's messaging me. I cannot believe that you're doing what you're doing. I'm so proud of you. I literally thought the next time somebody uh, asked me about you, it was going to be speaking at your funeral. Wow. Uh, and then lo and behold, 2016, I'm up in Atlanta. I drive up into a parking lot. Hadn't seen this woman in 13 years. Messaged her maybe five times on Facebook throughout the last, you know, five or six years. I knew she was married, you know. And uh, I'm pulling up into a parking lot at the mall, and there's this woman standing on the sidewalk. And she's looking down at her phone. And my buddy says, we all went to school together and we were growing up. He said, man, that looks like Krista. And I look over, and I was like, no, that's no." Nah. So he honks the horn, and she looks up, and it's her. And uh, we reconnect right there. We hug, and oh, my gosh, and. Lo and behold, she uh, a couple months later went through a divorce, mm. and uh, and she called and said, "Hey, I'm coming into town. If you want to hang out and grab dinner, and it's been been over with ever since. So wow. 13 years went by, we didn't see each other. Then the Lord just miraculously put us together. Yeah, God. Again. I mean, like you said, it's it's like how far you've come. Like look at your relationship back then. Yeah, and then look at it now, and you've got you know two beautiful kids. Yeah. And, and um and and doing YouTube channel stuff together. I mean, who, who would have thought? I mean, you look back like no, you know, don't. and when you were like twenty years old, there's there's no way you could have predicted this. No, it's it's a testimony of the of the goodness of God. 
Yeah. It really is. Uh, I, I tore down everything I tore down. He raised back up. I tore down that relationship. He put it back together. I tore down the baseball. He even put it back together for a season. You know, I tore down family relationships. I'm, I'm, I'm reconciled to all those people, uh, childhood relationships. You know, I, I minister to my friends. I, gosh, I've done their funerals, you know, that they didn't make it out of addiction. Um, he, he, he will restore and reconcile everything. Yeah. And that's the encouragement for others that you, you're never too far gone. Never, you know? ever. Yeah. You know, the people that are unsaved in the world, those are still part of his longing. He still longs for them to be a part of the body. So how can they be too far gone? Yeah. I minister to, I minister to convicted killers and I have some of the realest encounters with the Lord in the prisons, uh, where these men are at the bottom and, and they say, they'll ask you, well, he, well, God, he accepts me. And you, and you give them Paul, you give them Moses, you know, you give them, uh, the, the thief in the last moment of his life, looked at Jesus and Jesus said, today you enter paradise with me, you know, and they go, what, you know, he wants me. No, there's nobody ever too far gone. Well, uh, well, I appreciate your time, Blake. Uh, thank you so much for your sharing your testimony, your stories. It was great. We could talk. We could do this for hours, yeah, you yeah. know. And so, and I know wherever you go, you know, to different churches and different counties and states, you know, you share your story and and it inspires folks and and reaching people. So, thank you for all that you're doing. I mean, yes, it's a big you. step of faith to kind of step out from a job where you're you're making you got that steady weekly, monthly income, and then you're doing this for the Lord. I mean, it's not for purposes of not trying to glorify yourself, but right glorifying him and i'll make a deal with you so yeah. i'll let you pitch to me and i'll, I'll bat okay and, and then only if you 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 come and uh, train and run a marathon with me all right we'll, okay we'll try, we'll try to make a deal okay let's I know just you train and run the marathon let's not do the pitching <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to hit you in the arm or something oh have okay. you on the have you on the news yeah, we don't want the a cast. ball or something like that i'll get my wtv info yeah. <laughs> so, all right thanks so much blake appreciate it thank you Blake is such a great guy. It was an uh, honor to have a chance to sit down and chat with him for that uh, 45 minutes or so. And uh, he and his family are raising about $15,000 right now for this uh, longer-term stay that he, I think he briefly mentioned uh, in Uganda, headed to Africa for all of November, um, answering the call. It's, um, you know, it's a memory for me from uh, several years ago uh, when I went with uh, three men and we uh, did a lot of uh, street outreach there and uh, ministry. And my first time to Africa, it's really an amazing place. I've talked about it on a, a previous podcast. Podcast. In fact, I had uh, Andrew Chalmers on from Take the City um, and on a podcast, and and uh, we, we talked about that. So you can go look up that episode, uh, Run the Race, where you can see all the previous episodes, uh, all 112 of them, on WTVM.com slash podcast. As for Blake and his family... You know, his him and his wife and his kids are going to Uganda in November. So uh, the, the raising the money, you can go to his Facebook page or or that uh, ministries page I was telling you about. And, uh, it, you know, they're trying to cover the cost of the trip, but also outreach initiatives uh, while they are there. Uh, Blake uh, posts regularly on social media, a lot of inspiring, motivating things, biblical stuff. And most recently, he just put out a simple statement. He says, he is able to do more than we think. Amen to that. Uh, Jesus definitely can do uh, a lot more than we think. Uh, now to our uh, parting gift for uh, this uh, episode here, uh, episode 113, uh, where I give you some, some motivation, inspiration, a quote or something from uh, the Bible. Mm-hmm. 
And this one comes from a sermon uh, from uh, a pastor I heard uh, recently, Bronwyn Stanford, uh, from uh, actually from, uh, from from South Africa. And uh, it's, it's a sermon where she talked about remembering the faithfulness of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. Remembering how, you know, God can come through for you. He will come through for you. It may not be in our timing, but he will. Uh, this is from John 14, 26. It says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Again, that's from John. Uh, Great words there about how the Holy Spirit will come and uh, live inside of you as you are a believer in Christ. Uh, But uh, he will deliver for you no matter what um, and not lead you astray. Uh, He is certainly a way maker. And I always close our podcast in prayer. And actually, um, I went to uh, our guest for this week, his wife, who he mentioned, Krista Klump Russell, who... You may have heard him, uh, Blake, say that she was actually on the show Survivor, one of my wife and I's favorite shows. She was on season 22, uh, lasted two weeks, was the fourth person eliminated, uh, Survivor Redemption Island. And uh, so Krista Klump, uh, Russell, a uh, survivor and a celebrity in her own sense. But Krista has our uh, closing prayer for this Run the Race podcast. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now just to say thank you for who you are to us, for your goodness, for the grace that you give to us each and every day and every second of our lives. I pray over this message and I pray over the the moments for each person listening that you strengthen their spirit, let the Holy Spirit consume them to take this message as a direct moment with you, Lord. We thank you again for each step along the way, for each lesson and for the future and what it holds to continue to glorify you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, Krista, for the prayer. And uh, thank you again so much for choosing uh, Run the Race. Uh, You can go to uh, the bottom of the uh, Apple podcast page for uh, this podcast and write a quick review for us. We'd love to hear from you. Five stars if you like it. And uh, tell us, you know, in a few sentences and a quick review, it helps us to uh, stay in business here, continuing to do what I consider a ministry, talking about faith and fitness on a regular basis. Once again, uh, every Friday, we're going to try to do Food for Thought, a smaller episode. So you'll uh, look forward to that in the next couple of days and hope you and your family had a great 4th of July weekend celebrating Independence Day uh, for our nation, one nation under God. So until next time, uh, y'all have a great rest of the week.